Nicholas Bornholz of Capital Inc. And I am uh, again delighted to uh, welcome you to, to another great uh, panel. Uh, this is the second day of our three-day uh, Maritime Forum. Uh, it's the conclusion of the second day. And uh, we are concluding with uh, a terrific topic and a great list of panelists. So we just had uh, a panel on capital markets. Now we have a panel on SPACs. And SPACs is clearly one of the mechanisms that has attracted tremendous attention from investors as evidenced by the amazing amount of capital raised. And this is capital looking for deals. That's the definition of the SPAC. So we have with us uh, a team of experts. Uh, I will not steal the thunder from Keith Bilotti, our faithful uh, partner and friend uh, every year for these conferences. Uh, and overall, and Keith is going to introduce uh, uh, the panelists, and I have to say I'm delighted to say that each of the panelists is a dear friend and somebody who has been supporting us year after year. So really, thank you for being on board. And Keith, the floor thank is yours. Thank you very much, Nicholas. Well, we have a very exciting panel for you today. Uh, we have representatives from different participants within the SPAC industry uh, that are going to be speaking with you today. And Nicholas gave a brief overview of what a SPAC is, but for those of you who don't know, it's basically a blank check company. It's got no operations. It goes out and raises capital through an IPO. The net proceeds get put into a trust account, and then it goes out and looks for an acquisition to consummate, financing that transaction with the net proceeds in the trust account. Typically, the sponsor gets around 20%. IPO investors get warrant shares, and then those investors, they get to decide on the transaction, once it's ultimately consummated, they can either go forward and keep their investment or they can redeem their shares and take their pro rata percentage of the trust account. So with that context, um, I think it's, uh, it would be best if we start out with a little background about each of our participants and maybe they could describe a little bit about themselves and describe a little bit about their platform you know, and how they interface with, with SPACs. Uh, so Vasily, I'll, I'll start with you. Yeah, Keith, thank you. Uh, and I'm uh, it's delighted to be here. I'm Vasily Gregori. I'm the co-founder and chief executive officer of Advent Technologies. Uh, we listed, um, you know, about eight months ago through um, uh, a DSPAC transaction or, or a SPAC, as you mentioned it. And uh, we're very happy to do so. I, I felt, as you said, uh, it's a great opportunity for, uh, for a company to uh, you know, to, to list and then, you know, to actually grow very fast. So we're very happy and we're very happy to uh, share our experience um, after the introduction. Thank you. Akis, do you want to go next? Uh, yes, I'm Akis Sirigakis. I'm uh, the co-CEO of Growth Capital Acquisition. And I have a 40-year career in shipping, actually, and also a 16-year career in uh, SPACs. Having done four SPAC IPOs and closed three of them, and I'm in the process of closing the fourth one as we speak. Uh, the names of the previous SPACs were Star Maritime, Nautilus Acquisition, and Stellar 3, and the present one is Growth Capital, as I said. So, as you understand, I'm intimately aware of the evolution of the SPAC product, so, so to speak. Uh, thank you. George, as the, as the other half of a dynamic duo, uh, I'll, I'll turn to you. Well, I'm, uh, I'm George Landavos. As you said, I'm, uh, uh, you know, Akis's partner in this uh, uh, SPAC uh, road for the last 16 years. Um, uh, I, I still can't believe it. It's been uh, that long. Uh, it was exotic uh, back then. Uh, it's more mainstream now. And we'll talk about certain of the concepts. Um, uh, of course, I've been a partner uh, with Ikis in all the three and the fourth one right now, uh, which we have announced an acquisition. And uh, I'm also participating on another two SPACs, uh, Ethics acquisition and uh, Relativity acquisition. So as I said, uh, I'm also, you know, I don't know how more in intimate you can be with the product. So we're here to answer any questions. Thank you, George. Alex? Yeah, Alex Ibrahim, uh, thank you very much first to, to be part of this panel, very excited to be here. Alex Ibrahim, I run international capital markets at the New York Stock Exchange. 
as we all know, SPEC has become a key product. We sometimes call it as a sector. It's not a sector, it's a product. But when we break down uh, like the number of IPOs that we have conducted year to date, SPAC is actually the number one. Even though we saw ups and downs in the SPAC market uh, this year, we continue to see a lot of companies, uh, a lot of SPACs coming to the market and raising capital. In fact, we have listed more SPACs, SPACs than actually companies in the healthcare space and technology companies. So a very active product to us here at the New York Stock Exchange. Thanks, Alex. Larry, you're a frequent speaker at, uh, at Nicholas's events. I'm sure people are very familiar with you and, and those who are in uh, a prior panel may, may know you as well, but be helpful if you give us some uh, additional background and uh, you know, Max Ben's been a stalwart in the SPAC market. If you could talk a little bit about your platform uh, there. Great, sure to do that. Sure and happy to do that. You know, it's, it's interesting having uh, been involved with Nick's conferences for about 18 to 20 years. We originally were started out as a, as a known as more of a SPAC firm, but in reality, we're a full service investment bank. We actually have the number one equity maritime practice since 2015 in terms of number of deals raised as number and, uh, and equity raised. So very active maritime practice, but more importantly, we are one of the stalwarts within uh, the SPAC business. Uh, from a firm perspective, we've been 22% of every single SPAC IPO to come to market since 2003 as an underwriter, co-manager, or lead manager. Uh, and I personally worked on close to 100 SPAC uh, transactions in my career, both on the IPO side and de-SPACing side. And I've also been fortunate to most recently co-sponsor a SPAC with Aki and George, who are both uh, friends and, and panelists. So giving you a unique perspective as not only as a banker that's transacted in the maritime space, been the number one guys in terms of the number of SPAC uh, maritime transactions, but also being a sponsor of a SPAC as well. And I think we give a unique perspective from a firm point of view, as well as just personally being involved in the space. Super. Um, SPACs have been a real bright spot, you know, during this whole pandemic period. Um, they've been around for decades, but historically they haven't always been looked upon so favorably. Uh, right now, SPACs have caught the imagination of, of just about every investor. You can't open up a newspaper without, without reading about SPACs or, you can't look at the capital markets without factoring in SPACs. You know, Larry, let's stay with you. What do you think is, is causing the big surge in all the SPAC activity now? So, you know, it's, it's kind of funny, again, having done this for about 20 years involved with SPACs, when SPACs, and we taught used to go to Greece and go to, you know, everywhere around the world, pitching SPACs with targets, SPAC was kind of a dirty word, right? No one really knew what it was. The reality is, is that the institutionalization of the process is here, and that's really happened over the last 18, 24 months. And what do I mean by institutionalization? The institutionalization has come in two or three different folds. One, the quality of the issuers who are backing SPACs today, predominantly private equity, predominantly venture capital, predominantly multi-time SPAC issuers, or other forms of institutions that are backing these transactions. Historically, too, when you've gone out and announced your business combination, most of those transactions were announcing the, announcing the business combination without a third party coming in for more capital. So what's really changed the market today has been the use of pipes in connection with these transactions for threefold. One, bringing more capital to big name institution or strategic investor coming in from a diligence point of view, as well, as well as setting valuation. And that's really been the critical things to change the market. Also too, with more liquidity in the market, <laughs> more trading that's come in, a lot of the deals traded very well after announcement, but that's really what's driving the change in the SPAC market today versus 15 to 20 years ago. Now, I guess you've been involved in the in the SPAC market for, for a very long time, uh, back since, I guess, to 2007. What are you seeing as, as causing this, uh, the, the recent surge in SPAC activity? Uh, yeah, following on, on, on Larry's footstep there, uh, we've seen a lot more investors uh, being able to participate uh, in a public listing that's actually not accept, uh, accessible to them via a usual IPO. Uh, with a SPAC, uh, they can actually uh, access in an early stage of an IPO and, and participate in that. And also there's a, a good, credible 
a number of smaller companies under a billion, let's say, that can hardly list via an IPO, but can have access to a listing via SPAC. Now, uh, and I wanted to mention something that's really contrary to uh, common belief is that the due diligence of SPACs, uh, the, the due diligence that SPACs conduct is way higher than that done in a usual uh, IPO. That's my read of it, uh, having gone through several SPAC uh, dispackings. And uh, I think this is another point of evolution of the, of the product. Thanks, Atkins. Vasily, you know, having just gone through a, a despacking transaction, in, in your view, what, what do you think the recent uh, surge is being caused by? Uh, as, you, as you said, I'm looking at it from the, the target side. So I think it's liquidity also. You know, if, uh, people, um, there is a lot of liquidity. On the other hand, I agree with the previous uh, uh, speakers, especially with Larry. The, the idea that we have a pipe associated with every uh, uh, SPAC transaction, certainly ours, it validates the valuation. It allows us to make sure that we have a very good group of uh, investors already. You know, we already have, you know, 63, uh, I think, funds that they have uh, significant uh, portions of us. And uh, for the target, it's extremely important to have the, the capital the brand recognition to be, you know, in a major stock market, you know, the, in the U.S. for that matter. And as we say in Greece, since I think we have a lot of Greeks also here, if you if you throw you to the deep, you're either going to drown or you're going to swim. And I think if you're a good target, you will swim, meaning that a lot of the companies, they don't have the operational, you know, background, if you will, but they, 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 they get it. So for me, it's a very... Uh, pleasant uh, addition in a way, you know, the new SPACs, if you will, because you discussed about, you know, the previous SPAC and the, and the new SPAC. Uh, I, I think the product is very good. Of course, we had this issue with the warrants. Uh, they became liability, you know, after we already had listed and all that. But these are, in my opinion, mostly technicalities if you want to go long. So I think it was a very good addition, very pleasant surprise. And uh, we, we, we took this opportunity and, and we're happy. And if, we, if uh, I can talk a little bit later because I don't want to uh, steal the time here. There are obviously in everything pluses and minuses. And we try to concentrate on the pluses, which in my opinion are much more, but they're also minuses. And as Larry said, you know, it's an evolution. Every product is an evolution. Maybe this can evolve to a little bit something even better, so it will be even more attractive. George, anything to add there? Well, I I think it's interesting uh, that the sector caught fire during the COVID, uh, <laughs> the early COVID days, and uh, you know people could not make or make investment decisions, but funds were able to invest in a trust account and have a free look at an M and A transaction a year later. So I think. Uh, this got people to thinking that it's an alternative way of, of doing things. Also, um, to Larry's comment, um, more prominent financiers and the Wall Street participants, uh, you know, uh, you know, went into the game. And I think that people started thinking that the SPAC is a viable alternative to an IPO. I think the turning point, the deal that turned it around and started people thinking more and more was the Virgin Galactic uh, transaction where somebody like... Uh, like Branson, uh, you know, selected could do an IPO if he ever wanted to. Uh, selected that this type of deal to get things started, and I think it was, uh, uh, you know, the, in April of 2020. And more and more people thought that this was a viable alternative, uh, you know, to an acquisition. You know, actually, Branson has also just announced uh, Virgin Orbit in a dispacking as well. So, more and more prominent uh, financiers and people from Wall Street participating. I think. Uh, made it a difference. And also, a lot of people know these days what a SPAC is, right? I mean, in the early days when uh, with Akis, we did Star Maritime, we went into a meeting and we tried to talk to the companies about 90% of our time what a SPAC is. These days, it only takes us a minute, maybe, and then we talk all the other. So it's, it's very, you know, it has become very, very mainstream. Thanks, George. Now, Alex, what, what has the NYSC been doing to keep up with the, the, the surgeon SPACs? Yeah, 
Yeah, uh, Keith, a good question. As you may recall, about two and a half or three years ago, our listing standards for our SPAC was very, very high. We're not in the business, to be honest with you, because a lot of the SPACs that came to the market, they were very small. They would not meet the NYSE standards. But we're following what's happening in the market. And I agree with the comments that our panelists made. SPAC has evolved. Today, it has become a mainstream product. So we, as an exchange, we had to adjust and making our listing standards a little bit more flexible to be able to participate in this world. So two years, two years and a half ago, we changed our rules. We made it a little bit easier for SPACs to list with us. And we started to see also the change in who, you know, the sponsors that are coming to the market, they are much more higher quality which fit really well with what the NYC likes to do to attract good quality companies. So we'll be able to start attracting them and listing with us. Last year, we were the number one exchange in SPACs in the US. Uh, this year, we are pretty much uh, neck and neck to our to NASDAQ, but I think we're gonna uh, end up the year very strongly with uh, huge numbers of SPACs that are in the process of listing. But they're not only from the US. We're starting to see specs coming from other parts of the world and choosing the NYSE as the market of choice. So we're here, we're evolving as everyone else is, is an, an, an interesting product. We're starting to see retail participation, which is very good. It's no longer institutions or hedge funds anymore. And, and it has become very popular. Everyone talks about it. It's in the newspapers, your friends, over drinks, you talk about specs as an alternative, uh, as a new product in the marketplace. Thank you. You know, when Larry made his comment, he was talking about the institutionalization of, of SPACs. Um, when, and I'd like to dig in a little bit deeper on this, on, on how SPACs are structured um, and how interests are, are aligned. Uh, typically the sponsor um, will get a promote where they'll, they'll see about 20% of, of the company after the IPO. Mm -hmm. The shareholders that invest in the IPO, they'll get a fraction of a warrant together with their shares. You know, as time has gone on, the amount of warrants that people have gotten ha have lessened. The amount of the promote ha has lessened. Uh, some some sponsors have, have gotten really creative, and you know, in some cases there is no promote, or they'll, they'll have sponsor warrants. Um, you know, maybe we could just talk about structuring in its current form, what the recent trends are. Um, and what you're what, what you're seeing in that? Maybe you could kind of dig a little deeper, Larry, and, and start us off here. Yeah. So you know, maybe just from a couple of numbers point of view, um, you know, this year, you know, we've seen about 463 IPOs, uh, SPAC IPOs in the market. Um, that's about 131 billion dollars uh, to to have come to the market. So very big numbers from the SPAC IPO. Point of view, and that's almost you know last year we were about 248 uh, SPAC IPO, so big increases in volume. Uh, since October 1st, we've seen 16 SPAC IPOs with an average of about 175 170 million dollars raised, with an average of 101 in trust. So essentially, the SPAC management team is overfunding the trust to create a yield for the existing SPAC buyer. The average durations are about 16 months, and then the average warrant coverage is about 65%. So if we peel back and we look about where the beginning of the year was, um, you know, the typical you know uh, warrant coverage for those yields was probably right around 50-ish percent for SPAC issuers. There's a big bifurcation between the mega SPACs, what I'm saying 350 and above, to maybe 150 to 350, and then below 150. There's small nuances to each deal. But most of the deals that were coming out in the beginning of the year were typically had 100% in trust and had anywhere from a, an 18 to a 24 month duration for that management team to go out and effectuate a deal. So what's happening today in the market is it's becoming a little bit more expensive for the SPAC management teams to come out. <laughs> That's twofold. One, a lot of deals out there looking for transactions and the despacking haven't traded as well as they had earlier in the year. So we've seen this before in the SPAC market when it becomes a little bit of a tighter market, you just have to pay up a little bit more from a SPAC manager point of view to get out your deal. Um, but ultimately there's gonna be fits and starts within the market where the windows open, it, it might get a little bit cheaper for a management team to come out, 
uh, but we are in a cycle today where deals are getting done. They're just not getting done at the velocity that they were uh, earlier in the year. We just completed, I think it's the last uh, IPO that was completed. That was, uh, you know, this past week, which was a deal that we upsized from 150 million to 180 million and ultimately was 270 million, 207 million by the time it was completed. And that's kind of all within the lines of where we are from a market point of view. Thank you. George, as the serial answer, um, you know, what are your views on this? Is there an optimal structure uh, that you're seeking? I mean, how do you view the fact that, that it's getting a little bit more expensive for you guys to get deals done um, and, and, and investors are, are uh, taking a little bit more from you? Um, there's not much you can do about that. It's market conditions, Keith. I mean, uh, I remember when we listed our last uh, SPAC, uh, it was at 101 and a half, uh, 102, uh, you know, in, uh, in uh, November of uh, 2020. And uh, uh, by the time the beginning of uh, the year came along, 2021, uh, it became more competitive, went back down to 100%. And uh, we were ready to list and we listed then. So it's up to us to figure out a way to, uh, to get the best uh, deal possible within the market cycle. Now, if we have to pay a little bit, we'll have to pay a little bit, but then we can play a little bit with the duration, you know, the 24 months we can take down to 15, so the investor can take the same type of return in a, in a shorter period of time. Thus, you know, we can save a little bit on the overfunding of the trust. Um, listen, you know, with Akis, we have a theory about size also, because uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, that the SPAC, has, the SPAC management has 20% of the uh, you know, of the, of the target, but actually it has 20% of the pre-target company of the SPAC, which means that if you do a big uh, transaction, for example, in our last one, we, we had 172 million in trust and we conducted a 1.5, $1.6 billion transaction. Therefore, the promote there was, uh, you know, two and a half percent of the overall thing. So, uh, you know, we have a theory that you don't need to overpay and uh, and, uh, and put a huge amount of money in trust in the beginning, because now you have also the tools of the FPAs and of the pipes. And if you need additional funding at closing, and you know what the target is, you can better, uh, um, you know, tailor your transaction. Let's say so. Uh, you know, we're not believers of of mega spacks. Akis, what would you add to that as far as optimal structure sizing? Um, you know, as we sort of drill down on, on how these uh, our SPACs are structured from a sponsor perspective. Uh, yes, I think uh, George covered the most of the uh, of the items, but I would like to to address a little bit the size issue as well, because uh, at the end of the day, and this has to do with alignment of interests and and so forth. Uh, a smaller size means a smaller promote, a smaller dilution for the target. And as George said, uh, a pipe and, and an FPA and or an FPA can take care of that uh, at, uh, at the back end at the time of dispacking. So uh, it, it gives you a lot more flexibility and a, la a much larger universe of targets if you have a smaller SPAC. Uh, and that universe of targets is not a small thing. I mean, we were over 100, 116 targets we've reviewed for this particular SPAC that we have currently. When we were, and, and those targets came to us through banks, you know, they were introduced to us. Uh, in the past, we used to chase, uh, you know, deals uh, left and right, and it wasn't easy. Uh, we were talking about, you know, counting in, 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 in both hands the deals that we were actually be able to, to, to access. So this has been uh, uh, thanks to right-sizing the SPAC, thanks to also having a, a repeat issuer background and, and, and understanding and actually approaching the target uh, with uh, their needs and understanding their needs as well. And uh, I think that that has helped a lot. Uh, I think this should cover it because I think George's, uh, George's uh, points were really uh, on target. Thank you for that. Now, Vasily, you know, from, from the target's perspective, 
you know, as Akis was mentioning, that uh, you, you really need to take into account the, the target's needs. I mean, you have the benefit of hindsight now. Um, you know, what what is the optimal structure for for someone coming in to to despac with uh, with the target? Um, any changes that you would have made, or uh, anything that you've sort of observed through the process? Yeah, as I said, we're new to this also. You know, that's our first uh, SPAC from a target uh, point of view. So we're learning. We don't have the experience that uh, George or Rikis has. But uh, the fact of the matter is the following. I'm, I'm a scientist, okay? So at the end of the day, I'm a very analytical person. I think if you make the product, and I think I'm saying the obvious, more attractive and more general, it, it balances itself. Meaning that what do you want? You want good targets for us. There's no comparison to the company we were two years ago or where we're now. Okay, it's amazing. And we it is because of we of the SPAC transaction. So we could do two things, you know, waste the opportunity or go and become a true global green energy company. And we're doing that. We did a couple of acquisitions which we won't be able to do. Uh, we strengthen our operations, you know, we're, we're becoming a, a real bigger company. Now that has not been reflected in the price of the share as of today, in my opinion, because you have tremendous uh, shorting from day one, then the pipe investors, some of them will sell because that's the nature of the project. And then as George said, you know, how many warrants you can have in order for this to be fair? I don't know, it's what the market says. And sometimes, as you know, the market is not uh, necessarily, uh, you know, balanced there. But in my opinion, you have to go through this. I mean, you have to take the beating, if you will. And in the end, from the shorted, you you'll end up in the growth category, if you're good. So the SPAC allows a lot of people to have a fair chance, which I find it 10 times better for an investor, uh, a target or, or the general, you know, populace. It's healthier, you know, it's more, more players. So if you can swim, you, can, you will go very far. If you cannot swim, okay, at least you have a chance, you know, you cannot uh, blame somebody. And as Aki said, I don't think it was good when he was trying to find a target. Now for our transaction, I think it's listed on our escort. I think they, they reviewed 250 business plans. I think that's healthy, you know, and they picked us. So in my opinion, uh, it's good. And as Alex said, you know, the, the, it becomes more mainstream. The, the stock exchanges are looking at it. They're trying to put the right, you know, uh, I guess, uh, limits. He says, guys, this way, so we can all do better. So I think we're moving in the right direction. And I'm sure some people don't like it and they will because it goes against some other interests. It's you know, always the case in everything. But uh, overall, it's a product that uh, if it's been, uh, how can I say, going to the right direction, it's been very good for targets like us because it really accelerated our progress. I think somehow we will end up here because we had this dog determination to be listed because we feel that uh, this is the place for what we do. Uh, but with the SPAC, we came in earlier and uh, I think that was a good thing. It was actually a very good thing. Thank you. Well, Alex, you know, in terms of recent trends, you know, as you sit on the exchange, you get to see, you know, companies from, from all over the world uh, that come and list. Maybe you could just speak a little bit to uh, the geographies that have been the most popular for SPACs and the industries that have been most popular. You know, mm -hmm. what are you seeing as, as areas for growth? I mean, the U.S. Has, has taken the lion's share of these SPACs, but yeah. you know, other countries are uh, expanding their reach into the uh, the world of SPACs. I mean, maybe you could just talk generally as to what you're seeing. Um, you know, in terms of the, those types of trends. Yeah. No. Thanks, Keith. Uh, in the Beginning of the pandemic, and we're starting to see many SPACs, US SPACs coming to the market and price well, trading well, there was a lot of activity. When you look at the non-US side, it was very, we didn't see that many companies coming. But towards the end of last year, we saw many, many SPACs coming from markets that we never thought that they would be coming to, raise, come to the US to raise capital. Countries such as Brazil, Israel, Indonesia, Singapore, Canada. So the SPAC business became internationalized. And by the end of the year, we had over 25 to 30 SPACs that actually came from outside the US that listed our platform. 
This year has been extremely international also. Of course, the US is the, that's where we see the majority of specs coming from, but we're starting to see more and more international players, names that you see in the market, they either they're sponsored, they're involved in a private equity firm or a venture capital firm, or even companies creating their own, what they call corporate specs and coming to the market. So a lot of activity in the US for sure, but with international markets starting to pick up momentum. And we see emerging markets also an important source of aspects for the NYSC. We're very focused at this moment in Israel. We believe there will be a few coming our way in the next few months. Also Latin America, Brazil, Peru, Mexico, and of course, Southeast Asia. In terms of like, in terms of where we see a new wave of specs coming to the market. If you want to talk a little bit about the dispacking, is the same thing. Before this packing was really US companies, but now we're starting to see more and more specs going abroad, pitching for companies that actually we're pitching for IPOs. We go to meetings and they just said, I spec just knock at my door. So we're starting to see that dynamic. And in fact, uh, last week we had a company from the UK that came to the NYSC through a business combination. We had a Brazilian company that followed the same path. We have a few from Indonesia, Profit Guru just announced a business combination with a SPAC and listing with us. So it's very interesting to see the dynamic. It became very international now. Yeah. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about the the, the de-SPACing process, the process that goes on the back end um, you know, of the SPAC transaction. You know, we have lots of companies um, that are out in the market looking for targets right now. And I'm hearing that, you know, for, for Akis and, and George, they've, they've seen, you know, hundreds of, of, uh, of companies that, that are potential targets uh, for their SPACs. You know, Akis, what, what's the recipe, you know, what's sort of the checklist that you go through uh, to have a successful backing uh, transition? What are, you, what are you looking for? Uh, well, uh, both George and, uh, and myself are engineers. We like to ask questions, why this, why that, and, uh, and, uh, and dive deep. And uh, on, on that front, we kind of connect with the targets uh, management because most of them love their company and, and are intimately uh, connected with their company. And, and therefore, it is a very important aspect to, uh, to, to uh, approach that, uh, that company and understand uh, their business. And then uh, the travel to a successful dispacking becomes easier. Now, most companies believe they're ready for uh, dispacking, but they're not. They really are not. Uh, they lack on corporate governance. They lack on on uh, uh, audited financials, even uh, and so forth. And they think, ah, we can check that box very easily, very fast. But that is not the case in most cases. So uh, while you understand very easily the the business and the business proposition, uh, once you get into the nitty gritty, you quickly. Uh, surmise that you cannot really proceed for other reasons, not because the, the business is not good, but, uh, uh, you know, for the company not being ready for public listing or, uh, you know, for the public domain. So I think this is the, the biggest uh, uh, experience that, uh, that we put to the table, uh, having done several uh, hundred, uh, you know, investigations of companies. And uh, you know, done so many due uh, diligence uh, uh, in data rooms, uh, investigations. It's 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 really uh, understanding the company and quite fast. So you do not waste time. All this uh, uh, all this investigation uh, having to do with the time you are allowed. I mean, this eighteen months or twenty four months and we can actually get uh, maybe later in the conversation why it, uh, it makes sense to actually find a target relatively early. Otherwise, you may run into other kinds of issues. 
Vasily, you just went went through this process as a target. Um, you spoke a little bit before about the the piping, you know, validation of the of the transaction. Um, maybe you just give your views on on what's the recipe for a successful despacking. Obviously, you have that experience, but maybe you could just talk talk about your experience there. As I said, and I think uh, the, the other people said also, a lot of the companies are not uh, necessarily ready, but some of them are more ready than others. So I think that we're an experienced team who just didn't know how to be a public company. So I felt very fast we needed to, 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 to f first think like we're a public company, you know, like immediately, because the, the more important thing, and if we've done it, I don't know, 20 years ago, uh, it would be even shocking more shocking for me, it's the speed. You know, you do everything that you do in normal life or as a, a you know, a private company, only much, much faster. So for us, I think uh, uh, the operation piece and, and as you said, the, uh, the, the institutional piece was there. We had, you know, very good lawyers, very good accountants, all these things that in my opinion can slow you down. We were not cheap there. You know, we, we hired people who knew, you know, relatively expensive, I think that would be my, suggestion there, you know, not trying to, uh, you know, save money in things that you don't know, try to save money in things that you know better. And uh, have that attitude that now that we're here, we have to go at the speed that the market wants us, you know, I mean, uh, and try to, to understand uh, how that works. Because let, let's, uh, you know, be honest, you know, most people who come from the, from the target, uh, uh, side, they have uh, very good technology, very good business, but they're not experienced in uh, in uh, in the public uh, domain. So for me, that that was the most important thing. You know, make make sure that uh, we don't make silly mistakes. We'll make some mistakes, but we're not going to make the silly mistakes. And try to get to the speed of the public comment, not sit in a way on our success. Okay, now we did a spiking. We have a lot of money in the bank. Uh, let's take it easy. Let's have some uh, have some politics and stuff like that. So I felt like you know I had to cut it immediately. So I, I think so far we're, we're we're doing good. And as I said, it has been a very good experience for us. Even though I must say, uh, I think Larry mentioned it before, hey, there, there are a lot of no shares out there. You know, like what uh, I don't know if Larry or George said it. It was a dirty word before. Therefore, when we say we're going to do a spike, oh, you know, who is this? What's that? And not necessarily say, saying something in particular negative, but just a negative aroma, if you will. But uh, I think it, it was a it was a mistake. It's just uh, you know sour grapes, as I think. I, this is a good product. It's out there. It becomes more and more um, you know robust because more and more uh, you know good target companies show up, and uh, and I think it's going to be here for the years to stay. Thanks. So it's clear SPACs are reshaping the, the capital markets. You know, one industry that hasn't really been a big beneficiary of, of de-SPACing transactions is, is the shipping industry. Um, George, Larry, you both straddle shipping and SPACs. Um, George, maybe you could start us off and just, just kind of talk about, are there any set of circumstances that could be available and uh, that would make shipping companies you know, prime candidates for, for a de-SPACing. What would have to happen in a shipping company or what would have to be the outlook? Um, you know, what would have to exist so that you'd have a successful de-SPACing with, with shipping companies? Uh, well, uh, first of all, uh, you know, due to our background, uh, you know, uh, we always look around and figure out if it's the right time, the right place, the right part of the cycle to, to do something in maritime. It hasn't been for a, quite some time. Uh, and that's because, uh, uh, you know, equities were trading at their, their discount to NAV. So, you know, going, uh, you know, doing a deal with a, with a maritime company and going to investors and saying, I want the NAV plus, uh, plus there is the promote. So you have to have NAV, you have to be priced at NAV plus somehow um, and compete with equities that are already listing at NAV minus. You understand that, I mean, you've been an attorney in the maritime space, you understand what I'm talking about. Um, the last few months, of course, with uh, the types of valuations and the type of premium above NAV that's been happening uh, you know, in the space, um, it's something that theoretically potentially could be possible these days. Um, one thing that people need to look at is that there is a four month approximately 
this packing uh, process from the time you announce till the time you close. And that's a, a, a dangerous area to be, so to speak, quote unquote, to be in, uh, uh, knowing where these four months will, uh, the shipping markets would be. Uh, what I'm saying is, let's say you have a, an agreement in April, and then by the time you close, uh, it's August, September, and uh, if shipping markets have changed and the view of the subsectors have changed, you might not be able to, um, to close a transaction. So that's the technical part of it. There is a, there is a people part of it, which is the counterparty ship owners. As long as the counterparty ship owner is willing to think, as Vasily said, as a public company and not as a private shipping company and understand the types of market conditions and structures that are there and leave a little bit of echo, ego at the door and um, be able to, you know, to structure something reasonable, then I think the SPAC would be willing to, to do something there and make a reasonable deal, um, knowing also that there is the pipe and the FPAs and the converts, et cetera, all the, you know, the technical other financing uh, tools that are there to help you at closing. Uh, but in general, you need the, the market environment and you also need the people's willingness uh, to work together, you know, to, to tango here and uh, figure out a structure in a way, because at the end of the day, it has to be valuable and meaningful for public investors. You know, I mean, that's, I kiss and myself, we're always there to do a deal that makes sense for the public investor. That's why the, the tool is there. And that's uh, what we try to serve in order to be, uh, you know, to have long lives in this, uh, in this game. When are we going to see a, a shipping uh, despacking? You know, it's it, George. I think kind of summed it up perfect, perfectly, and I, and I think I touched a little bit of this on the last panel was on as it relates to capital markets. Um, definitively, I was just in Athens last week. Um, you know, I met with you know over a two and a half day period, 15, fourteen different ship owners, fifteen different ship owners. Um, it's a very high topic of discussion, right? I think everyone is looking at, because if you're in the capital markets, you're seeing what's going on uh, from, a mountain, from a capital markets point of view. Um, you know, I think it's gonna be sometime before we see it. I think people are actively looking at it. I think people are preparing themselves just to, the same way they're preparing themselves to go public. You need to be capital markets ready. If you're not capital markets ready, the time periods that George is, George is alluding to could be the difference, especially in a cyclical sector like the, the maritime industry, the difference of getting a deal done and not getting a deal done, right? I do think you'll start seeing more shipping and more cyclical deals coming out sector-wise is that when you see a couple quarters of very strong valuation. So if we see one or two quarters back-to-back -back where things are trading substantially above NEV, that's when you're going to see the IPO market open up, and that's when you're going to see the SPAC market. I also think there's some critical things that George alluded to, but for, with a little more specificity, is when you find a target that's looking to transact with a SPAC, if they're looking to take cash off the table, that most likely is not going to be, be a deal that's going to work from a SPAC point of view. You really need to find targets that are willing to do a reverse merger, that they take all of their equity value in the stock of the, the SPAC, they want to be public, and they go public. And if there's investors to come in that want to provide money with a pipe, that's going to give you certainty that at a minimum, you're going to have the cash from the pipe for, the, for your growth equity going forward. And that's why you're seeing a lot of big companies going public today outside of the shipping industry because of the advent of the pipe. The pipe is solidifying a minimum amount of cash being in the transaction at closing. Thanks. So just to shift gears a little bit, um, you know, SPACs are, have a lot of conflicts of interest. It's inherent in the structure. As sponsors become more, more sophisticated, they're trying to grab different slices of the apple. You have them uh, starting the SPACs, then you have them acting as consultants to find targets. They're serving as directors. You know, From the banker perspective, you get some of your, your payment up front during the IPO. Then you get the balance when a deal gets done. You know, there's a lot of incentive to get deals done and there, there's a short window to do it. Um, you know, and I guess I just wanted to talk with you folks and, and understand, you know, are, are these conflicts of interest real or does the process sort of take care of it on its own? Now, the NYSE has, has its corporate governance standards. The SEC 
has brought enforcement actions because disclosure uh, hasn't been sufficient. The SEC is really focused on disclosure. I think one of the commissioners came out yesterday imploring people to disclose more about conflicts of interest. Uh, so I just wanted to take all of your views on, on how you kind of see uh, these conflicts of interest and how they're being resolved you know, in the marketplace. And uh, Larry, we'll, we'll start, we'll stay with you on this one. Yeah, listen, I, I think when you're looking at any public market deal, whether it's a SPAC or not, disclosure is going to be the critical thing. I, I think it's it's key out the gate at the, at the time of the IPO, you disclose everything that needs to be disclosed. And the time of the despacking, disclose everything that needs to be disclosed from a regulatory point of view. I, I take a look at, at SPACs, you know, and having done this for 20 years, is probably the most democratic product on the street. The simplification that all the money of the SPAC IPO money investor goes into a trust account, and you're giving the common stockholder the ability to either vote on a deal and stay in or trade out of their stock, vote yes for the deal and get their money back, or vote no and ask for your money back, you are giving all the optionality, again, all of the optionality to the IPO investor, right? So the IPO investor is going to have the ability to analyze the deal. They're going to look at all the disclosure documents if they choose to do so at the time of the despacking. And at that point, they're making a determination of whether they want to stay in the deal or have more equity exposure on going forward. If people are going to place shenanigans that are without the, without the guidelines of, from a regulatory point of view, that is a very different story. People are always going to do that. That's human nature. What we're talking about is disclosing appropriately. And if you don't disclose appropriately, you're going to be subject to whatever securities laws violations that might be out there. But the bottom line is cash goes into a trust account. You have the ability to vote on a deal. And if a deal gets done, it's no different than an IPO on the back end. How the deal is going to be is going to trade is going to be predicated on the demand and supply in the market. If the demand is very strong, the stock price is going to trade up. If the demand is weak, it's going to trade down. That's no different than an IPO that gets priced. If it's strong, it will trade up. If it's weak, it's probably going to trade down. Uh, yeah, uh, before I actually address the conflict of interest, I'd like to, to reiterate what Larry said regarding an investor being able to always redeem if she feels uncomfortable with the deal, uh, with a conflict of interest issue or other issues or anything uh, having to do with the deal. So uh, moving on from that, now conflicts of interest are existing and they are disclosed in uh, the document that may exist, but they are minimal at the early stages of uh, SPAC's life. Uh, actually, the interests are, are quite aligned. Uh, now, conflicts could potentially uh, arise at the latter stage uh, when a SPAC may be facing liquidation uh, at the end of its, uh, of its life and uh, a sponsor may be facing a loss of his at-risk capital. So that's, that's the worst case scenario that, that, uh, where conflict could occur. Uh, however, this is overcome by having, let's say, experienced uh, sponsors that can actually navigate the, the target uh, identification uh, properly early. And, uh, and also the SPAC's life being a little longer also helps mitigate that, uh, that thing, that, that conflict uh, or potential conflict. So throughout the, the, the life, except possibly at the very last, uh, uh, you know, uh, period of the, of the SPAC's life, actually interests are quite aligned. Well, we're running short on time here. So, you know, I just want to get your views super quickly about the, the, the future of SPACs. You know, Alex, I'll, uh, I'll start with you. What, what, what's your outlook on, uh, on, on, on the SPAC's place in, in, the, in the marketplace? You know, at times, you know, the SPAC has been very present and then it sort of petered out. And right now we're getting a resurgence. You know, are SPACs here to stay and, 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 and they're not going to go away? Or are we going to see another period where... Uh, you know, where there's a big lull again? It's very difficult to predict, right? But what we're seeing right now, looking at the pipeline, specs are here to stay. It is going to be a busy year. We are, as I mentioned, we are listing specs as, you know, this week, next week. 
So the pipeline is very strong. So we absolutely, I think this will continue. But again, we cannot really predict what's going to happen the next three, four, five months. You know, the SEC might look into this with different eyes. We don't know. But uh, a lot from our perspective here, lots of engagement with sponsors, with bankers, lawyers. And as I said, it's no longer a domestic product. It's an international, it's a global product. And we're seeing that from company, from sponsors from around the world. So right. yeah, so we're bullish on the product. Well, we know Atkinson, Georgia looking for number five. Uh, Larry, what do, you, uh, what do you see in the pipeline these days? Yeah, listen, I think there's about 300 SPACs that are on file right now. The, probably the number is actually higher than that because of SPACs that are confidentially filed. Um, you know, I think from a long-term point of view, you know, I don't know if we'll ever see the type of issuance numbers that we've seen over the last, you know, 12 to 18 months, it, which has been phenomenal. We're talking, you know, about 700 plus SPACs in the span of, of a, less than a two-year period. That's, that's pretty phenomenal. Um, I think what's going to happen, right, is the continued institutionalization of the product. And I think there's gonna be a bifurcation between the smaller SPACs and the larger SPACs. People are always gonna use it as a tool to solve for whatever type of capital market solution that they're gonna look for. Um, so I think ultimately it might not be the bull market that we're in today, but there's gonna be a leveling out. And is that 50 SPACs, is that 150 SPACs? It's gonna be some number between a zero and where we are today of what's gonna be coming out into the market unless the regulators shut it down totally, which I don't think is going to be the case. I agree with that. Now, Vasily, I think uh, I think our time is up, but I'm going to give you the last word here. Uh, any closing remarks uh, to, to leave us all with? Yeah, because I know the least about the SPACs in terms of the technicalities in the past. I can offer at least my, my thought on the future. If the targets are right, and if, you know, two years down the road from the, the spiking process, these are healthy, good companies, and they attract, uh, you know, good investment. The public investors make money. Uh, make sure that the SPACs will be there forever. I think that that's that's the key. You know, like the longevity when you do the spike and the rotation of the investors. Uh, some of these companies uh, should become uh, mega companies, if you will. And then I think that's where you have your success. Well, well, thank you all very much for a very interesting and educational discussion. And uh, Nick, thank you very much for having us all here uh, today. Well, thank you very much uh, for this tremendous discussion. And I can say safely, I think this is gonna become uh, not only in terms of the live attendance, but in terms of people coming afterwards, this is gonna become the panel for how to SPAC and dispack. So thank you very much for an amazing uh, discussion. And this concludes the second day of our forum. Again, tremendous thanks to all of you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.